to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, hello, Andre here, lead pastor of the city. As always, so honored that you'll join us for online gathering and privileged to encourage you around the scriptures this morning. I hope that you are doing well. I'm so looking forward to seeing uh, the few parents that will be joining us for child dedication live uh, here in Tip EI uh, next Sunday. Well, I'm sure all of you have noticed that I have a bit of color on this morning. And this is to dispel the myth that Andre only wears black. People who film only wear black. Uh, we are very much uh, pro-color. And so here is a bit of color, a pop of color. Uh, enjoy the color, I guess. Well, uh, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so I want to encourage you uh, to whip out your Bibles. I know you have your Bibles at home. Take out your physical Bibles. Turn with me to a passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 3. This is God's Word, starting verse 13. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, can I invite you to join me in a word of prayer even as we begin this time of diving into Scripture together. Father, we thank you as always for this day. We thank you for this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we thank you for this day that brings about new mercies and new grace and new experiences with you, O God. Lord, we pray today, even as we are gathered together as a church in this unconventional manner, Lord, we pray that your presence will meet with us in every home, in every room, even as we honour you by being present in this gathering, even as we honour you by paying attention to your word, to your voice, to your presence, to your spirit's leading and prompting, God, we ask that today we will meet with you in a deep, personal, transformational way. God, we invite your presence to meet with us. We give you honour. We give you praise. Come illuminate this time of study. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, this past couple of weeks have been really interesting, hasn't it? You know, it's been really interesting uh, with uh, news that have been uh, emerging uh, in our world, uh, both uh, ones that we celebrate, that we're really excited about, but also news that are uh, concerning and grieving in many ways. You know, uh, we uh, have come into news that our phase three uh, will be coming out soon, and this is something we're really excited about. Our social gatherings are perhaps uh, increasing in number, and for our church perhaps to uh, have some kind of, uh, explore some kind of physical uh, gathering expression. Uh, we're also super excited about some promising vaccine candidates, uh, but there are also news that are 
uh, really grieving and, and responses to news that have been really grieving. Uh, we've uh, you know, uh, heard recently that, that, a, that a very well-known pastor, many of you will know him, had uh, recent moral failing and was terminated from his job. And the Christian response uh, to uh, that piece of news have been both encouraging but also absolutely grieving. And of course, you know, uh, the big news in the last couple of weeks, the U.S. elections and how, you know, we've seen uh, that just breed such uh, contempt and, and disunity and hatred uh, amongst people and seeing uh, that played out on social media has been absolutely terrifying. Uh, social media, uh, to say the least, has become a really contentious, unsafe um, scary place to be on and you know i'm not going to bore you with all the latest news and happenings i won't bore you all the details i'm sure many of you are really well informed now the ability to communicate through technology without any face-to-face interaction is no doubt a technological marvel Uh, but at the same time you know we have observed and all of you have observed that it has the potential to do damage to the human soul and it's sad uh, that we have I've seen, you know, people being able to set aside their empathy, understanding, common humanity in favor of getting their political views across to the other. And it's sad to say that this behavior isn't just isolated to that which we call the world or secular culture, but it's very much present in the church as well. Now, many of you would know that I was in ministry school in America for three years, and those three years were filled with some of the best moments with God experiencing His presence, His voice, and His spirit. But not just that, it was filled with amazing moments with people, some of the kindest, uh, most amazing people I've ever had the privilege of meeting in my life. I met in those three years uh, when I was in school. Yet, like anyone who disagrees, you know, nice people can at times turn into really nasty people uh, in uh, heated moments of, of disagreement when someone feels really passionately about something. Uh, nice people can turn into really nasty people. And, you know, I've observed even on my own social media page, seeing my friends interact with one another. These are Christians, my fellow colleagues in ministry. These are close friends, uh, completely setting aside their empathy and understanding in favor of getting their point across. And uh, it didn't just stop short of this uh, cause. It went into name-calling, criticism, cynicism and just outright attack and it's been really sad and grieving to watch I'm sure many of you had had some kind of experience as well you know I've had a friend uh, who went to school with me he, he said this to me uh, recently he said I don't know if I can carry on following Jesus uh, and you know I was shocked when he said that he said I don't know if I can carry on following Jesus there's just so much confusion divide and disappointment is too hard I'm exhausted and I'm sure some of you feel the same way in light of the polarization and disunity that we're seeing in our world today. Now, this honestly has led me down a path of discouragement. Someone once uh, noted, he said this, It is amazing the violence people will commit in the name of peace. It is amazing the hate people will show in the name of love. It is amazing the oppression people exert in the name of justice. Jesus' followers must embody another way. We can do better and we must be better. And as followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we being conformed into that which the world is becoming, one that is becoming increasingly harsh, critical, cynical, and demeaning? Or are we intentionally being transformed into the image of Christ through embracing the words of Scripture 
and putting into practice all that is being said. How do we as followers of Jesus in this climate that we're living in, that which is harsh, cynical, critical, attacking, how can we practice a kind of counter-formation and push back against the harshness of our world? And today I'd like to speak to you on the subject of blessing, the subversive power of blessing. Now, blessing is not something that we are unacquainted with. It is something that we know, we know it's right, we know we should want it, we know we should do it, but we are seldom really intentional about putting that into practice of blessing others. And I'll say especially in a time like ours, one of polarizing views, opinions, criticism and cynicism, we need blessing and encouragement more than we ever did before. Now, some weeks ago, I spoke about the church and how it should be, it's called to be. Its very definition is to be a missional community. And to be a missional people simply means this. It simply means that we participate in the mission of God, His shalom, His flourishing, His purpose, His rule, His reign, His intent for our world. While many times we think of mission as you know, you go to a distant country and you serve there, or you stand up against injustice, you stand up against oppression. All of that is really, really good. And many times we think of mission uh, in uh, that kind of vein that is only isolated to such activities. While that is right and good, I've seen people who are missional with their vocation, missional with their money, but unmissional in the way that they speak. They bless the world and extend peace through their service. But with their words, they curse, they tear down, they demean, they stir up strife and hate. We see this even amongst church leaders and pastors. To be missional as a people is to embrace the entirety of the mission of God with the entirety of our lives. It's not enough to just be missional in vocation. We need to be missional with the entirety of lives in the way we speak, that we may extend, express, review, and reflect the purpose, the intent, the will of the God whom we serve. So we don't just do things, but speak in a way that reflects and reveals Christ. Now, it will do us good to remember that the Bible doesn't start with sin, with our depravity, with our brokenness. The Bible, in the creation account, it starts with blessing. The creation account, that which communicates to us God's design for humanity, starts off with a word of blessing. Let's look at a passage of scripture from Genesis chapter 1. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we see this in scripture that out of blessing, out of being blessed, humanity was to go on to create culture, to increase in number, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Out of the blessing of God, they were to move into the world with the security that they belonged to God, that they were made in the image of God, that they had the favor and blessing of God. We live from blessing, not just for blessing. We need it. We need God's blessing because I like to put it to you, it's, the, it's a fundamental part of our humanity. We were designed to be blessed by God. 
to be blessed by our Creator. However, today, when we talk about the subject of blessing or bring about uh, bring up a word like blessing, it, we have trouble having a clear understanding of what it means, right? Because we see this word being used in various uh, aspects of our culture, right? When someone tries hard and fails, we say, bless your heart. When someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. When someone is really doing well or uh, enjoying a, a really nice experience, we go, Hashtag bless. We say it often, but we often don't really mean anything uh, or we mean nothing by it. One author summarizes the biblical meaning of blessing this way. He says this, The Old Testament word blessing is the Hebrew word barak. This simply means to speak the intention of God and to be happy with where you are. In the New Testament, is the word eulogia from which we get the word eulogy. Eulogia means to speak larger or well of or to speak the intention or favor of God on someone. Dallas Willard will define blessing as such. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. Wow. Let's look at the definition again. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. So to bless someone is to desire God's favor, God's goodness, and purpose to be upon another person's life. And what a definition and vision for what we, as Christ followers, as the church, is to project into the world. We are to project God's goodness, God's favor, and God's purpose into our world. The church is to be a force of blessing in an increasingly harsh world. John Tyson says this about blessing. Blessings and curses are a central theme running throughout the scriptures. From the opening of Genesis to the close of Revelation, these two realities determine the quality and flourishing of a person's life. And I don't know about you, but that is so true for me. I see themes of blessing and of curse in my life. I looked at the, the sum total of my life. I looked at all of the key moments of life, how I ended up uh, where I am today, you know, and I can trace it back to either a word of blessing, a moment of blessing, or a word that pronounced a curse on my life. You know, I'm here today because I was blessed by a friend who noticed me and preached the gospel to me. I'm here today because I was blessed by a cell group leader who invested in me. I'm here today because I was blessed by a pastor who believed in me, who championed my dreams. I'm here today speaking to you as a pastor because I'm blessed by a community who empowered me. You know, I remember a time when I was in a youth camp and in the youth camp, the speaker gave an altar call for all who felt called to full-time ministry. And of course, many people rushed to the front and I was standing in the back. This is my first year in the youth group, standing in the back and I didn't respond to the altar call. But many of you will know the story of my salvation. From a young age, I really felt called. I felt I was supposed to work in the church. I felt uh, a drawing to ministry uh, ever since you know, I got saved. And, and remember not feeling uh, qualified to respond to that call. I felt that were people who had tons of, uh, who had so much more ability and availability and skills to serve God and ministry. And so I didn't respond to your call. I remember standing in the back worshipping my eyes closed and a youth leader, I don't even know who he is, you know, he came up to me, put his hands on my shoulder and he started to pray for me and he affirmed and encouraged me. And remember he said this, he said, I want to encourage you that you have a call of God upon 
your life. And that short statement from this unknown person has uh, kept me going, you know, has strengthened and put uh, faith in my bones uh, even till today. But I also remember a conversation I had with another youth leader. And uh, remember uh, in that time, I was uh, doing several uh, administrative duties for this leader and I wasn't uh, matching up. I wasn't uh, delivering it uh, fast enough. And I remember a leader sitting me down and this leader knew I was passionate about ministry. I wanted to go into ministry. And she told me uh, in a frank manner, she said, I don't think you have the character, nor the anointing, nor the skills to be in ministry. And that uh, really left a mark. And in reflecting, you know, I believe that in these two moments, something happened in my heart. It either caused me to struggle or caused me to thrive. You know, and in that uh, other occasion, you know, it caused me to struggle, and I can trace much of you know, this ambition and drivenness in my life uh, that's controlled much of the motives of my ministry uh, to some of these moments. And I think you know, if we were to reflect upon our lives, we can trace that, that, or we can gather that there are two primary forces that have shaped our lives, and we can point to much of our dysfunction today, or our motivations today, to maybe a callous comment or word that was spoken over you by another. Now, I think of my friend who, uh, when young, uh, had a relative make a comment to her, and she said, and relative, uh, and she was just a young girl then, her relative said to her, your thighs look a bit big. And that you know, started her on a pathway where she got really image conscious, she was watching her weight all the time, and it led to her battling with bulimia for some 16 years. She was in and out of rehab. And here's the point I'd like to make, you know, that a callous word, though we at times might say it flippantly or uh, unknowingly or without much thought or deliberation, a word, whether good or bad, has the potential to cause impact, to cause uh, uh, either dysfunction or thriving to happen in the person's life. And such was the case with my friend who, because of a callous comment by a relative, was led down a pathway, paved the way for her to struggle with an eating disorder for some 16 years. John Albert says this, that blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. They are simply the two ways that we treat people. They are as inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. Proverbs 18 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Our words can either speak life or it can speak death. Our tongues can either build people up or tear them down. One of the most painful fruits of the curse is the way we use language to sow destruction in the lives of those around us. Sometimes we speak our own destruction to others and the cycle goes on and on. Words that, and statements that have been perhaps spoken to you go, you will never amount to anything, you're a failure, you're fat, I wish you were more like your brother or sister, I wish you were never born you will never make it. And we live in a kind of careless culture in which our words often mediated through screens, through social media, giving people emotional distance from the impact of their speech. And a thoughtless word, a careless word, can cause such damage to the soul. It can become a splinter in the soul. And if infected with the lies of the enemy, can produce lives of pain and utter despair. This is what typically happens. A word causes a deep wound 
And the deep wound might look like, I'll prove them wrong, you know, or I'll never be like that person. And this deep wound would then lead to lies that uh, we become disproportionately more susceptible to. You know, a deep wound may look like you will never be successful in life, and a lie would be, you know, I will prove them wrong, I will be successful, I will cling on to these worldly things, money, sex, and power in order to look successful. And then it becomes an idol. It makes room for idols. We do whatever feels good and right to alleviate our pain. Anything that will take the edge off and these lies and resulting distortions of our identities can wreak havoc on our soul and then ultimately we become addicted. We can't break free of these idols, these attachments. And as a result, we don't live in freedom but dysfunction and our lives are controlled by the curse. And the problem is that we often, you know, draw attention or we often uh, pay attention only to the symptoms that the curse, that the negative word has produced. We address the lies, we address the idols and the addictions, but we seldom address the curse, the word in which it all originates from. And here's the thing, we don't reverse the effects of the curse through human accomplishments and through human know-how and ingenuity. Reverse the effects of the curse only through blessing. We don't reverse the effect of a spiritual uh, a stronghold through physical, through natural means. We need blessing. It is blessing that overcomes, that overtakes, that overwhelms the curse. And this is the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are no longer slaves to the curse, but we are made free. We are made right so that we can experience the favor, goodness, and blessing of God. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so coming back to our teaching text for today, Galatians chapter 3, it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Now what is this blessing? We find this blessing uh, in Genesis chapter 12. It says this, And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What a stunning vision. So from the beginning of a rebellion and the entrance of the curse into the world, God has been acting and moving to bring redemption into our world. God promised that salvation would come through Eve and a seed would crush the head of the, the, the serpent. And when God began to prepare His people, He gives them this vision, I will bless you so that you would be a blessing to the world. All the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now the truth is, if you're waiting to be blessed or feel blessed, or think that blessing eludes us, we won't be compelled to be a conduit of blessing to others. The framework is this, that we are blessed so that we may be a blessing to others. The problem is that we think of blessing primarily as material possessions or promotion. But friends, there is a far greater blessing that eclipses all these material things that has been given to us. For the believer, our blessing isn't found or evidenced exclusively in material things, but the blessing that through Christ 
what He has done for us on the cross, that God's face now shines upon us, His grace is upon us, His favor is upon us, His countenance and His peace is upon us. That is the blessing to which we have all been blessed, so such that we may be a blessing to others. And so, in spite of what is in your bank account, in spite of how high you are up on the corporate ladder, in spite of your relational status, you are blessed. You are blessed. Stuff and wealth is but a droplet in the ocean of God's blessing that's been extended to all who call Christ their Lord. We are blessed to be a blessing. My favorite line of the Christmas carol uh, appears in joy to the world. And this is my favorite Christmas carol. And I think it's so right and it's so timely for us to begin singing Christmas carols. I love Christmas carols. We should sing them all year. It says this, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor fawns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is is found. And then Jesus come to do that, right? He undid the effects of the curse and released blessing into the world. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus was made sinful with our sinfulness that we might become righteous with His righteousness. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Jesus bore shame that we might share His glory. Jesus endured our rejection that we might be accepted as children of God. Jesus became a curse that we might receive blessing. And now as followers of Jesus who work from and not for blessing, we are called to extend the ministry of Jesus to all the world such that the world may be blessed. Last verse before I hit hit you with some final points. Let us consider this image in Luke chapter 24. And this was uh, Jesus, you know, he had already been crucified and he had risen, and he was with his disciples, and this is right before he ascended into heaven, and he was giving uh, his parting encouragement to his disciples. And this is the last image of the resurrected Christ uh, that the disciples experienced. Luke chapter 24, verse 50, it says this, When he, Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. I'd like to draw your attention to that second verse. It says this, While Jesus, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And so you can picture that moment. The disciples were with Jesus. Jesus was blessing them. And then he was taken up to heaven. And could maybe, you know, in, in mind, it could be Jesus fading and ascending off in the distance. And as he ascends, he goes, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And then he echoes off in the distance. Or he could be blessing them. And he's blessing them. He disappears into another realm with his hands raised. He says, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And Jesus goes. But whatever your version or your interpretation or the image that comes to mind when you read this story, one thing's for certain. The last image that the disciples had of Jesus before he ascended into heaven was Jesus with his hands raised toward them and pronouncing blessing upon them. I bless you. And that, in my view, was what gave them such courage, such perseverance and endurance to battle, to live through, to fight through all the things that were coming against them. They lived from blessing, not just for 
blessing. Now, I've spoken about blessing extensively and it seems so extract. How then you know, are we supposed to bless the world? How then are we supposed to bless others? How do we, as the people of God, partner with the mission of God to be a conduit of His blessing to the world? Now, we can bless people through many things, through service, through our finances, through empowerment. But one of the primary ways that we can bless others is through our speech. And I have four ways that uh, I'd like to encourage our community to practice, four things to, to practice as a church community such that we may be a force of blessing, not just for our church, but for the world in which we live in. Number one is this, uh, encouragement, to practice encouragement. Hebrews chapter 19 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more is to see the day approaching. Now, the background and the context of the book of Hebrews was that the writer wrote uh, this to a group of Christians who had suffered in the past for the sake of the gospel and now were being threatened with more suffering. And so these were a group of Christians who were tempted to revert back to their old ways and the writer of Hebrews writes this letter of encouragement to encourage them to persevere, to encourage them to stay true to the cause, to hold fast to their faith. Now, the word that's used to describe encourage is the word paraclean. And sometimes this word would mean to comfort, sometimes it would mean to exhort, but always at the back of it is this idea of enabling a person to meet with some kind of difficult situation with confidence. And one of the ways uh, that word paraclean was used uh, in that time uh, to describe uh, something that would happen at the time was when uh, a regiment or a platoon, if you will, in ancient Greece were to lose heart, were to grow dispirited because of all the setbacks. Uh, a Roman general would send uh, a leader to speak to them, to speak to them. And the goal of the leader was to paraclean, to uh, bring about courage in their hearts, hope again, such that they may go out once again into the battlefield uh, to, uh, to, to, to win uh, the day. And that was what paraclean means. It means to bring about courage. It means to infuse courage. It means to take someone who is dispirited, dejected and hopeless and see them move into courage once again. That is what it means to paraclean. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be? We are to be a place where we infuse courage into each other such that we may stand true to cause, such that we may continue to persevere, to endure, to run our race with strength and with endurance. Now, I remember a time where I ran a 10-kilometer run with my life group. And I remember uh, running this long 10-kilometer run. I know that's the longest I've ever run and the longest I will probably ever run because I don't do running. And I remember running, you know, and I'm pretty competitive. Uh, and so... I remember, uh, you know, a kilometer in, I saw this gal and she was in front of me. We seemed to be running about the same pace. And I decided, you know, I will make it my goal. At a point of time, it was my life's goal and ambition to take, uh, to, to, to beat this girl, uh, to, to uh, uh, finish this race, uh, uh, you know, in front of this girl. And so I paced her all through the 10-kilometer journey. And remember, we were about like the 95 kilometer run and uh, mark you know and she looked like she was out of steam and I was still going on and I had this plan you know right when we we're about 
the finish line I would like make for a mad sprint and I would overtake this girl. And remember, you know, having this game plan in my head and I saw, uh, you know, this girl, you know, she had a friend, you know, who also happens to be my friend and uh, she ran uh, beside uh, this girl and started encouraging her. She's like, come on, babe, you can do it, babe, you can, you can finish. And all of a sudden, it almost felt like adrenaline was like uh, pushed into her bloodstream and she began to make a mad dash. And I tried to catch her, I tried my best to catch her, but I could not catch her and she finished in front of me. That is the power of encouragement. That is the power of someone coming next to you, beside you, running alongside you, speaking words of affirmation, speaking words of courage to you. It can cause you to run the race with endurance, with perseverance. That's what the church is to be. Now, when we think of encourager or encouragement, we will think of uh, the Bible character Barnabas. Now, it, it will do us good to know that Barnabas wasn't his birth name. His birth name was Joseph, but Barnabas was a nickname or a commendation given to him. Barnabas would simply mean son of encouragement. Now, think about that. How encouraging of a person you have to be in order for people to go, hey, that's the encourager that's coming. That's the son of encouragement. Now, I'm so glad that in our community, we have sons and daughters of encouragement. We have people in our midst that uh, breathe and, and infuse courage into weary souls. And I think of so many of you that have been so encouraging in this time. And this time has been challenging for me in uh, many ways. And I look back upon text messages that I received from many of you saying, Hey, Andre, we've got you. We're praying for you. We are with you. You are my pastor. I believe in you. Now, these texts, you know, they, they mean so much. And... Um, and brings about courage in my soul whenever I look at them. Now, what will it look like for our church, for our community to be a force of encouragement for one another? I believe that is what it means to bless, to bless one another. We speak encouragement to each other. The next way we, we bless is through prof- prophecy. Now, I, I hope that you tune in to uh, the service last week and Gary Morgan gave an amazing word to our church community. Now, I had this strange experience even as I was listening to the service. I was watching the service and it was, as, as Gary was giving that prophetic word, I felt strength and courage enter into my bones. And there's something about the prophetic, something about releasing words of prophecy that strengthens, that edifies, that comforts, that exhorts. Uh, it's beautiful when we get to be mouthpieces for God, when we get to speak the word of the Lord to an individual, to a church community to bring strength and courage and a renewed hope. And remember, uh, last year Gary came and he was giving a prophetic word over Amy and I was listening to that word just uh, last night and Amy was receiving this amazing word about being an Esther and a call to intercession. And uh, in that same prophetic word, he started praying for Amy's thyroid and starting to bless it. And it was a really strange prayer, but it... uh, it piqued our attention and we decided to go to a doctor, do a blood test and get checked out. And we found out that Amy's thyroid function then wasn't optimal uh, and we needed to uh, put her through a course of meds and she's all better now. But you know, isn't that so amazing, right? The prophetic and how, uh, you know, even in those moments, you know, where where we receive words, you know, we feel known and loved and seen by God. And I've looked back upon that word, upon that moment. It's brought me such courage uh, to know that God sees, God knows, and God is with me. And that's what the prophetic does. And we can bless each other through the ministry of the prophetic. Another way we practice 
blessing through our speech, it's through noticing, it's through drawing attention to people, it's to see the humanity, the good in others. You know, we live in a world that often view people as commodities, as goods, but as Christians, as Christ followers who seek to be a blessing in our world, we are called to draw attention to the good in one another, to pay attention, to see the humanity in each other. And I look upon this passage of Scripture, it's pretty obscure, from Romans chapter 16, and this is Paul going almost on a rampage of affirmation, of commendation, of greetings. And Paul goes on this long list, he, he begins by commending Uh, Phoebe, a deacon, he greets Priscilla and Aquila, he greets his friend Epiretus, he greets Mary, he greets Eubanus, he greets all sorts of people, he greets Herodian, his fellow Jew. Now, it would do us good to know that in that time, Paul was living in a time of you know, uh, really, really um, evident uh, social stratification, and there were all sorts of uh, you know levels of elitism and and, and 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 separation between the elite, non-elite, the Jew, the Gentile, male and female. And Paul made it a point to say that in Jesus, we all deserve honor. We all deserve to be seen, to be known to be encouraged that we are serving the purposes of God. And Paul made a point to do so in his letter to uh, the Roman church. And that is what we get to do. We get to draw attention. We get to notice people uh, and encourage them for the good that they are doing. You know, every Sunday, uh, you know, Luke, uh, who uh, joined our community through the Alpha course, he would post a scripture in the comment section. And we often take it for granted, you know, but Luke does that week on week. I'm pretty sure this week he has put up another passage of scripture to encourage us. And so drawing attention to Luke, Luke, thanks for doing that. I notice you. Drawing attention to various people in the community, someone like Tiana, who is so encouraging to many of us. Many of us probably have been on the receiving end of encouragement from Tiana. I notice you, Tiana. Thanks so much for the way you serve and love our community. And that's what we get to do. We get to notice people. We get to draw attention to what they are doing, to how they are serving, to how they are loving well. So let's be a people that bless each other through noticing by drawing attention to the good that we're doing for our world so that these people may receive, in some sense, rightful praise and rightful gratitude. Let's be a people that bless through noticing. The last uh, uh, encouragement I have for you in how we can bless each other as a community, through our speech, is to speak a word of truth, to speak the truth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, I mentioned earlier of my friend who battled with an eating disorder for 16 years. And the breakthrough moment in life came in a form that you know, perhaps is pretty unlikely to you. Uh, you know, there are many people who came alongside her to pray with her, to stand with her, to give her words of encouragement. And what she did was she recorded all these words of encouragement, speaking truth and life into her. She recorded all these words. She recorded herself uh, speaking and reciting scripture, words of promises. And she put it into an audio file. And every night she'll put uh, the audio file uh, on her phone and she'll put in earphones and she'll listen to this uh, file even as she slept. And some three months after she began doing that, she was instantly set free of 16 years of battling with an eating disorder. There's something about a word of truth, a word of blessing that has the power to break a curse, to break the curse, to break the power of a negative word. 
the blessing overcomes and overwhelms the curse. In many ways, blessing, encouragement, speaking the truth is a form of spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us that the devil is constantly trying to discourage us. He is the accuser of the brethren. And so as Christ follows, when we encourage, when we speak blessing, we are in many ways coming against the plans, the attacks, the onslaught of the enemy. The reason is why it's so important for us as a church to take a strong posture and commitment to encourage, to bless, because all encouragement we give to one another in the church is ultimately rooted in God and His nature. God is the source of encouragement. We see in Scripture that every member of the Trinity is explicitly encouraging us in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all troubles. That word comfort is the same word used to describe encouragement. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and by his grace, give us eternal encouragement and good hope. And lastly, in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. That word Advocate is the word Paraclete, which is where we get the word Paraclete, encourager, encouragement. And that is the Godhead. The Godhead encourages us in our faith in different ways. And so when we encourage and bless people, we live out the ministry of the Trinity. We need to see that as a part of our sanctification, discipleship, and spiritual maturity to grow, to be encouraging, to bless just as our Father, our Lord, and the Spirit does. I would like to take it a step further to say that one of the telltale signs of spiritual immaturity is a consistently critical spirit because it says to me that we aren't taking on the image the characteristic the ministry of the God whom we serve he who encourages and so to grow in discipleship to grow in sanctification to grow in maturity is to grow to be a person who is encouraging who blesses instead of curses so what if instead of complaining about our work and jobs we recognize that we are blessed and be a blessing, a source of encouragement in our workplaces? What if instead of lamenting about where our spouse doesn't measure up, we bless? What if instead of criticizing the state of a society and growing despondent, we bless? What kind of world will we create? I'd like to encourage you, you know, parents, bless your kids. Bless them. Speak words of life and encouragement over them. Schools can be really, really harsh places for children. You know, my nickname in primary school was Lingerie because people found my name funny, they found Andre funny, and so they started calling me Lingerie. Schools can be really, really harsh places. My Chinese teacher would say to me, Andre, you make me want to vomit blood. You know, words like that, they do damage to a young child's soul. Parents make it a point to bless your kids. Husband, bless your wives. Tell them that they are gorgeous and beautiful. Because trust me, there are many things, you know, there's advertisement and social media telling them they, that they aren't enough, telling them that they are ugly, telling them that they are not beautiful. Husbands, make it a point to bless your wives. Members, Church members, this community, bless your leaders. Not just me, bless your life group leaders who, in spite of their day job, go out of their way to serve you well, 
to nourish your soul, to feed you, to stand with you, to care for you. So let's be a community that grows to be a blessing, to bless. We bless through encouraging. We bless through noticing. We bless through prophecy. We bless through speaking words of truth, of life, such that the curse may be reversed. Because we live in a world that curses us, that tears down, that destroys, that demeans. But let us be a people in this climate that we're living in to be one that pushes back against the harshness of our world and instead release the blessing of God, His favor, His goodness for all humanity, for our world. Now, I'll close off with one final story, and this is the story of St. Francis of Assisi in the Fifth Crusade. Now, during the time of the Crusade, which is a dark stain in church history, St. Francis grew disillusioned and grieved by the whole situation. And he tried to go to where the battle was ha- happening to convince uh, uh, the person, the cardinal who was c- organizing and orchestrating Christian effort to hold off, to not go to war. And ultimately, the crusade happened. And St. Francis was captured. And uh, in that time, you know, in that period, uh, if you were to be captured without any official endorsement, you would more than certainly be killed. And he was captured, but even in the face of death, he told his captors that I would like to meet with uh, the sultan who was organizing the Muslim effort. And he went to the sultan and he began to share off uh, his love and share off uh, his, his conviction. And, and he, uh, he came to the sultan with such humility, grace and love that the sultan was uh, impressed by the way St. Francis conducted himself. They even offered him riches for his bravery. Now Francis would turn down the sultan's offer. And the sultan, uh, history would note, uh, made this comment about St. Francis and said that he had never seen or witnessed that kind of Christianity that St. Francis was offering. He had seen a kind of Christianity that demanded war and violence, but St. Francis was a prophetic sign of love for enemy, of peace, even in the midst of darkness, the dark stain of church history. Now, ultimately, St. Francis wouldn't stop the crusade and many more would die. Now, what's my point of bringing up the story? St. Francis in that day couldn't stop the crusade. It was far too uh, great an endeavor. He couldn't uh, do it on his own. He didn't have agency to uh, create, to, to, to change the course of history in that time. But what he was in that day was a prophetic sign. He was a representation of Christ. He was a beacon of hope and love even in the midst of darkness. And that's what we get to be today as the church, as the people of God. We may not have agency to change all that is going on around us. We may not have agency to create widespread reform in all the areas that we are passionate about. But one thing that we have agency of is how we conduct ourselves in this day. We can either choose to participate in that endless cycle of criticism, cynicism and attack, or we can choose to disrupt that cycle by being people of peace, by being people who encourage, by being a people who bless, who bless us in the midst of the curse, in the midst of this dark time that we're living in, we can be a people who bless. And so coming back to that image of Christ that the disciples saw, this image that was the last image of their beloved Messiah before he ascended to heaven, Jesus has his hands raised to bless his disciples, to encourage them. My prayer for us as a church is that when the world thinks of the church, thinks of you, thinks of me, thinks of the Christian community, they wouldn't think of us as ones with our hands raised in retaliation, ready to exact vengeance and violence on the other. 
but they'll see us, they'll think of us as people who have their hands lifted to bless, to bless, to bless, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And in this time of widespread criticism, we're seeing the effects of the curse on display. Let us grow to be a people who bless, because we've been blessed, been blessed by God who turns his face upon us so that we may be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And so to close off, I'd like to invite you right now to join me in the time of prayer. I invite you right now. I trust that many of you are seated. And I ask that in this time, you know, you try your best to put aside every distraction around you. If you are on your phones, put aside your phones. And let's uh, come to God in this time of prayer. I invite you in this moment to sit with your feet firmly planted on the ground and lift your hands, put your hands out before you. And right now I ask that you take a deep breath. Take a deep breath in. As you do so, begin to feel and imagine air filling up your lungs and picture God's blessing filling your body, filling your soul every facet, every aspect, every corner of your being filled with the blessing of God. And now take a deep breath out and as you breathe out, feel your shoulders relaxing. You breathe out any anxiety, worry, fear and apprehension. And now take another deep breath in. Feel God's blessing, favour and delight fill you. Let's spend some time breathing in and out and allowing for the Spirit to do a deep work in our hearts and our souls and our bodies as we open up ourselves, as we make ourselves available for God to pour out His blessing. Let's spend a few moments doing so. Let us pray as we close this time. God, we thank you that you have blessed us. That blessing is not something that we seek blindly or we are in lack of, but you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God, we thank you for your favour, your delight, your grace that is upon our lives. And God, we know and we recognise that we are blessed God, we pray that even as we live through this week, live through this strange moment in history, God, that you use us to be conduits of your blessing to our world, that we may encourage, that we might speak a word of prophecy, that we might notice, that we might speak a word of truth in order that the curse may be reversed. God, use us for your glory. Use us for your purposes. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Let's go back into worship together.